0: Well, howdy, Pastor Landon here, Executive Pastor of Real Faith. If you're enjoying this sermon, you're one of more than 200 million people who will be reached by Real Faith Ministries content this year alone. Pastor Martin Grace Driscoll, produce a mountain of free content, and it's all available on at realfaith.com. If you're married, we've got a podcast for you. If you've got kids, we've got resources for you. If you're a man trying to sort out his life, we can help. And for those of you who pray and give to Real Faith Ministries, we are fully supported by ministry partners like you. Thank you for your generosity in helping us reach people for Jesus. We'd love to have you
1: partner with us. Thanks. All right. Welcome to The Real Leaders Podcast here with Senator Josh Hawley. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And we're just going to shamelessly plug right up front uh, your new book, uh, Manhood, The Masculine Virtues. I I feel a little triggered. Are you saying that there's masculinity and femininity? We're going to need to talk about that. These are the masculine virtues that America needs. And uh, I will just uh, brag a bit and say, I actually read the entire book. So... Uh usually when a guy interviews you, he hasn't read the book. Here's what I love about it. Biblical, cultural, personal, practical. You kind of bring it all together, and it's a book about guys. Maybe tell us a little bit about why you wrote it and what you're hoping to do with this message. That's starting to get some good noise and uh, make the right people angry.
0: Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's great to be with you. and in terms of why I wrote it, so I've got three kids at home. My older two are boys. My son Elijah is now 10, and my son Blaze is now eight. And for those who read the book, you probably figure out why I named my, my son Blaze, because uh, I talk about Blaise Pascal, who is a hero of mine in the book. Blaise Pascal.: Yeah. and so my, my boy number two is named for Blaise Pascal. But anyway, so my boys 10 and eight, and what really got me thinking about this book was me thinking about my obligations as a dad and as a follower of Jesus Christ. What is it that I should be doing for my sons to help them grow into the men that God has called them to be, especially in this cultural moment when now we're told that there are no such thing as men, there's no such thing as women, and it's all fake, and it, you know that and everything else, all the other lies men are told. So I really started thinking about it from that perspective as a father.
1: Which is awesome. I've got uh, my middle son, his middle name is Blaze. Oh, there you go. And I've got three boys. I've got three boys, and I've got my first two grandsons on the way. Congratulations. And so I was looking at it for the first time as I was reading the book, and I think he did a really great job with the biblical, with the cultural, with the personal, with the practical. Um, And I was really encouraged. It was the first time I was looking at it, like, okay, This is now about legacy and not just sons, but grandsons. Let me ask you, how how old are you now, Josh? I'm 43. 43. Okay, so I'm 52. For the younger guys, how insane is the world that they are growing up in as young men compared to even just the world that you grew up in or I grew up in in regards to gender and sexuality and identity?
0: Much more insane. You know, I was just thinking about this today. I'm really a a child of the 90s. I mean, you know, that's when I was in grade school and junior high and high school. So, you know, I, I can look back on that and, you know, yeah, I mean, there was crazy stuff happening, of course, a lot of dysfunction in the culture, but nothing like this. I mean, I think for now, for kids to be told and young men to be told that, number one, to be a man is to be toxic. That is the overwhelming message men hear from the culture day in, day out, entertainment industry, Hollywood, politicians, all of it. You're toxic, number one. Number two, to be told that, you know, and maybe there's no such thing as manhood at all. You know, that that this the gender, there aren't two genders, there's two thousand or however you feel today. And if if you have, you know, if you're having any concerns about yourself, maybe you ought to just transition to some other gender. That was not even I mean I didn't even know. I, I would not have understood that at all as a kid. In fact, I don't really understand it now. so I, I think that the the level of insanity in the culture, and frankly from the left, has really ratcheted up. And whether you're a young guy now or you're you're a young father or whether you're like me, I'm not a young father, but I'm a father of young children. Um, you know, I, I think that it just makes this topic all the more pressing. And you mentioned the Bible, and the book is really about the Bible, and it's me trying to get back to what does the scripture say about our calling as men, and trying to lift up that vision for men out there.
1: Yeah, and then you start with Adam, our first father. You do a lot of work with Abraham. You move to other men kind of throughout the storyline, like Joshua. And, And as a Bible teacher, I appreciate that. And I think At the end of the day, uh, it seems like to me the only hope left for whatever is left of Western culture is a return to external authority, God's Word, and people who are helping take the timeless principles of God's Word and apply them to these sort of truthless times that are insane. And and so I'm, I'm super grateful for your work, and I know you've got a heart for men's ministry. And sometimes, I mean, it's weird. You're a senator, but every once in a while you preach and teach. Maybe talk a little bit about how, you know, you do family and you do politics, but ultimately behind it all, a lot of it for you is ministry from your position as a Bible-believing Christian.
0: Yeah, that's 100% true. I mean, I really feel like, first of all, scripturally, Paul in Romans 13, for example, just take one example, Paul refers to people in positions of authority, political authority, as ministers, you know, and he says that those who who have the sword, those who are in positions of authority— that they have that authority as to, unto the Lord, as ministers for the Lord. And and he uses the same word for ministers, of course, you know, uh, that he uses for priests who minister in the temple, that he uses for ministers of the gospel. So I take that really seriously. I mean, my my job is to serve the Lord in whatever sphere of life I'm in. I'm called to the political realm to represent the people of Missouri in the Senate, but I, I'm, I'm there to do ministry. And part of that is, and this time especially, I feel like my ultimate responsibility is to be true to the gospel and to bring the gospel to bear in everything that I do, so I try to use the opportunities the Lord has given me, the platform that the Lord has given me, uh, to to speak gospel truth. And you know, when I get the opportunity to straight up preach the gospel, I, I sure as heck do that. And honestly, what this book is, and I think some of the, my critics on the left are just totally confounded by it. They hate all of the Bible talk, but what I'm really trying to do is, I'm really trying to get gospel truth in there in a way that you don't have to be a christian to read the book you know you don't have to consider yourself a believer to get something out of it but i'm really trying to draw people in i'm really trying to put the scripture front and center i'm really trying to do ministry sort of through the back door and uh, predictably you know the the, my critics on the left their heads are exploding about it but i hope that means that you know i'm on the right track
1: no absolutely and i would say the nice thing about um, lies, error, folly, and stupidity, it doesn't work. So just give it a little time. And what we're seeing right now, we're seeing just the complete implosion of an entire generation of young men. I mean, you know, as well as I do. And, and honestly, in the book, Manhood, you do a really good job pulling out a lot of the social statistic, and uh, the latest research from Pew and others. But we know that young men are not marrying. And so, Um, They are addicted to pornography. They're addicted to video games. They've got erectile dysfunction from pornography addiction. They're not getting married. Uh, They're not having children. If they do, they're siring children and not fathering children. Uh, During COVID, they move back in statistically with their mothers. They're taking government money. They're dependent. They have record mental health depression, suicidal ideation. Um, two-thirds to three-fourths of young men are obese and couldn't even qualify for the military. I mean, you know, if 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 we were Ukraine and getting invaded right now, you'd have a bunch of guys, you know, throwing Hello Kitty dolls at invaders, and those would be grown men in their mom's basement. I mean, we're just at a place of complete and total cultural collapse. And I don't think that the maybe the left does understand that if you get rid of the next generation of men, There's nothing after that. It's total and complete cultural collapse. And maybe that's what they want. Maybe they want uh, all the men to be gone and everyone and everything to just be utterly dependent on the government. But I'm not sure who goes to work then and then generates the tax revenue to pay for all the government. So what would you say to those who um, that are still maybe on the fence politically and they're saying, you know, I'm not sure Christians should be politically active. I think we should stay true to the gospel. We should be about the church, not the state. We should be true to um, you know, getting people saved but not working on political or social or cultural issues. What would your response to that be?
0: Well, first of all, I think that the gospel compels us out into the world and it compels us to witness for the Lord in every sphere of life. So I think it's a I think it's a strange ethic gospel ethic that says, Well, I, I'm only gonna talk to people who come to my church, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna think about gospel implications for politics or for my neighborhood, or for my school, you know, the, the gospel doesn't have anything to say about that. I mean, really? No, I, I don't think so. I think the gospel has something to say in every sphere of life. And as Christians, we've got to carry the lordship of Christ into every sphere of life and proclaim the gospel. So that's number one. Number two, practically, I just say to Christians who who think, okay, let's just go into the church, close the doors You know, batten down the hatches and and the storm will pass us by, and if we're really nice and quiet and timid, they'll leave us alone. No, they won't. They absolutely will not. COVID was a taste of what this leftist movement wants to do, which is to shut down the church in America. They want to silence us, they want to neuter us, and they ultimately want to close our doors, and they are working on it day and night. The next thing will be that you can't preach... Uh, online, you can't preach over TV or the radio. You can't put your messages up if they violate the anti discrimination laws, quote unquote, because you won't affirm that there are 2,000 genders. You know, what I mean, this is where this is headed. And it's not as if it's far fetched. You can see them doing this right now. So we're not going to have, there will be no church in America that is left to preach and proclaim the gospel unless we say, hold on, we're going to take an interest in what our political. Leaders, so-called, are doing or not doing. So, for me, as somebody who feels called to this to this area and uh, an area of service, my view again is that I'm ultimately responsible to live out what the Lord says in this sphere of life. And and I, you know, listen, I do it imperfectly, of course, but my my hope and my goal and my obligation is to try and bring the gospel to bear in this sphere, in the political sphere. And I just think that it's important that every Christian do that in the way that the Lord opens up for us to do.
1: All right, guys, Pastor Mark here letting you know about the latest book, New Day's Old Demons. It's a prophetic word against pathetic wokeness. Uh, You guys understand exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Hopefully it is on sale. If not, it's coming out very, very soon. Would appreciate your prayers as we punch a lot of people and things in the mouth. And if it's a help, get a copy. Well, I appreciate you and I'm grateful for your work. And I know many are. My question to you would be... um, as a Christian and a husband and a father and a politician, looking uh, at a front row seat of where culture is at and going and heading, what do you anticipate are the greatest threats to religious liberty, faith, and family that are on the nearing horizon?
0: Well, starting with the with religious liberty in the church, I do think that what you're going to see is, is, and we got a taste of this in COVID, I think you're going to see now the government come after churches, after religious schools, um, after religious nonprofits, and they're going to say, if you don't gender affirm, quote unquote, if you don't get on board with the transgender radical leftist movement that says there are no genders, then we're going to label you as discriminatory and we're going to shut you down. So if you take a dime of money, this is going to be a huge problem for Christian colleges and universities. If you take a dime of federal money in any way, shape, or form, you got to get on board with this or we're going to shut you down. I think that is That is right on the horizon. It it is the next thing coming, and it's going to be a massive, massive fight. I think they'll try to do it with local churches, again, when it comes to accessing uh, the airwaves, uh, the Internet. They've already, of course, tried to deplatform left and right. I think that will intensify. Big government and big tech work together all the time. So I I think we're going to see more and more of that, uh, more and more efforts to see Christians who live out their faith in the workplace. You Think about um, the guy who bakes the cakes in Colorado. You know, and, and has said, listen, I, I, I'm going to follow my faith in, in what I do and, and uh, how I design these cakes and so on. The left isn't happy with that. They've been trying to drive that guy out of business for decades. Those efforts will intensify. So that's kind of on that sphere. In the family, I think what we're going to see is more and more efforts to indoctrinate our kids behind our backs at school, at the schools that, by the way, we pay for with our tax dollars. They're going to tell our kids that, again, there are 3,000 genders that you have to believe America is a racist country that we were founded in 1619, and if you as a parent say, "Hold on, I don't agree with that," "Hold on, I want to know what's going on," they're going to label you a domestic terrorist, and this administration's already done that. So I think with the family, they're going to try and, and indoctrinate the kids. They're going to try and separate parents and children emotionally, intellectually, certainly spiritually, and this is going to be a fight on all fronts. I mean, we're just, we're at a major cultural moment when the very foundations of what we believe as a country and our, our identity as a country is at stake right now. I mean, it, it is a civilizational moment right now. And, uh, it's going to be the next few years. I mean, this is why we need Christians to stand up and say, we're going to be bold. We're going to stand for the gospel.
1: Well, and in that too, it makes sense. If you get rid of the men, then there is no fight. That's right. And if all you have is, uh, single mothers who are government-dependent, and the men are no longer loving and providing and protecting their wives and children, then the default is that the government replaces husbands and fathers and men. And so my line is always, we need more fathers and less government. Uh, But that would be a genius play from the left. Get rid of the men, castrate the men, get the men sidelined, get the men addicted, get the men broken, Now you have women and children that are vulnerable and dependent, get them dependent on the government in the name of love and tolerance and diversity and assistance. And then what you have is complete governmental overtake of every area of society. And there are no strong men left to stand up and say no and to, and to have the fight. And just even tangentially from the pastoral side, like I get calls from pastors all around the country. I used to, um, I spent time in the People's Republic of Seattle preaching by the Chop Zone, uh, which was like breakfast with your ex-wife every day. It was super fun. And um, some lovely people met Jesus there, but the resistance was intense and a foreshadowing of what was to come. And now I get calls from pastors in these blue dots all around the world, all around the country rather, like I had one guy just call in his entire region, which is a very blue dot. There's one church over a few thousand, it's his. And the county decided it's time to build a new fire department. So the eminent domain is parking lot. Of Great. every square inch of the entire county, they're going to take away the one parking lot that is filled with cars for Bible teaching. I just got a call from a buddy in New York. And now that we're busing all the immigrants there, their proposal is to have all the churches take in the immigrants, get 100 plus bucks a night. And what that means is all the churches in New York will be closed. And their only income and revenue stream will be from the government, which is the government's way of overtaking all of the churches that are designated for worship, and all you're left with is an apostate, corrupt state church, just like Europe. And so, it's just—it seems like an avalanche and war on every front, from the uh, from the political all the way down to the very practical at the local level. And so, what would your response be to people who are believers? And their first response is fear or anger. They're just afraid and scared and trying to figure out how to get canned goods in a bunker and hunker down for the Armageddon or just uh, anger. They're just online triggered, you know, screaming and yelling and, and just being uh, frustrated with the news all day. Would you give them any other path forward other than fear and anger?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those are understandable responses, first of all. I mean, I, I get it. Um, but I think as as believers— Number one, we've got to keep it in the perspective of knowing that we know how the story ends, right? And we we know how this all ends, and it ends with the victory of the Lord. So we've got the best news of all because we know how this thing is going to end up. So we've got hope, number one. I mean, we can live with hope and certainty of that hope. And that ought to give us boldness, I would say, in going out and engaging the battle where it is now, which is really the battle for culture. And it is the battle. Uh, uh, for our civilization, as we were just talking about. So I think, you know, what can we do practically? This is, I believe, the time to engage and to do it wherever you can. But listen, you know, school boards are important. I mean, we learned that in the COVID era. So getting engaged in your local school board, local city councils are important. Who passed all the ordinances that that governed churches initially and tried to shut them down during COVID? A bunch of the city councils, it was local. Yeah, then the state got involved. Then of course the feds. But, you know, a lot of this happens at the local level So I think that getting involved right now and saying I'm not just going to sit on my hands, that I can actually make a difference. I'll just give you an example from my state. In my home state of Missouri, in the last two years, three years, we have seen numerous school boards, local school boards, flip control to actually pro-parent, pro-child, politically conservative boards that had previously been in leftist hands that were embracing this radical uh, BLM, defund the police, uh, anti-family, transgender craziness, and they have switched. Why? Because people got engaged, you know, because almost nobody votes in a school board election. And all of a sudden, people were woke up and said, hold on, maybe I'll run. I'm going to definitely vote. So uh, there are things that we can do. And I, I think that, again, as believers, we've got to carry into our engagement the hope and certainty of the Lord's victory in the gospel and to know that we have the winning message. Whether the world accepts it or not, obviously, we can't do anything about that. But we can proclaim it boldly and we can apply it into every sphere of life. I want to tag on to something you said a second ago, though, before I forget, which is to young men. And you talked about young men being on the fence. I think the message that the left is sending to young men is be an androgynous consumer. You know, sit in mom's basement, turn on your screen, watch some porn, buy some stuff, entertain yourself, and do as you're told. And I would just say to the young men out there, is that what you want for your life? Do you want to just be a consumer? An androgynous, passive consumer who does what he's told by his minders in the government or wherever else. Or do you want to have a legacy? Do you want to have significance? Do you want to change something in the world? Your life, your family, your neighborhood. You know, do you do you want your life to have an impact? And I think that's the real. That's the, the question this book tries to pose. And I think that's the message that we've got to ask men and put the choice to them. You know, choice is up to you. But if you want to have some legacy, you want to have impact. You want your life to matter. Sitting in your basement or mom's basement, staring at the screen, doing as you're told, that's not the path. And that's what the other side is offering.
1: So let's uh, let's go down that rabbit trail. That would be your word to young single men. And I 100% agree. And I would tell the young men, man, if you just wake up in the morning, sober, put your pants on, leave the house and try, you've got a decade head start. I mean, you know, everybody else is just waiting until their 30s to even think about moving out of their mom's house or getting married statistically. So it's what I tell my sons. Uh, my, my third son, well, I've got three kids. That, two are married and one is engaged. They'll all be married at 21, you know, just the way it worked out. But I tell my boys, like, stay out of debt, um, stay sober, um, you know, don't have a kid and sex until you're married, get married young buy a house, stay faithful to your wife, you're going to be 15 years ahead. And so the good news in a culture that's this broken and castrated is that if you're a sane functional guy, you're an outlier minority with an incredible head start. And there's a lot of opportunity. Like how many companies right now need young men who will show up and work? I mean, this is a historic time for an opportunity. But so in addition to young men, what would you say to the young guy who's newly married and thinking about having a family, but he's looking at the culture and the world and the economics, and, and he's, he's a little fearful about pulling the trigger, starting a family, bringing his wife home, and taking on that full weight of responsibility? What would you say to that guy?
0: I would say that becoming a father is maybe the most significant and meaningful thing that you can do with your life outside, of course, of following Jesus. I mean, to me, yep. let's just put it in biblical terms. I mean, Genesis 12, what, when, when God calls Abraham, is it any accident that when he calls him to leave his dad's tent, right, mean, he's still hanging around, Abraham's old man, still hanging around dad's tents, he says, no, go leave your dad's tent, go somewhere else. He's already married, Abraham is, but what's he say to him? I'm going to make of you a great nation. The whole, the whole hinge of human history is going to turn on you, Abraham, how? You're going to become a father. He calls him to be a father. That changes Abraham's destiny and literally the destiny of the world. We wouldn't be sitting here talking about this. Hadn't Abraham not followed the Lord's direction, believed in him, and then became a father by the Lord's grace. So to me, to to men out there, I would just say, if you want to have impact, you want to leave a legacy, become a father, because what will it challenge you to do? It will require you to become self-sacrificial in a way that you never have to before. I mean, I don't know what your experience was, Mark, when you got married. When I got married... I thought, oh yeah, now I'm really, I'm really learning to put others first. You know, I mean, I'm really, I, I I'm, I'm going to be. This is going to make me really uh, hum- humble and 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 sacrificial. And believe me, you know, it, it was very humbling to get married because I, I thought that I was a, a pretty self-sacrificial person. I married my wife, and I'm like, no, not at all. I'm extremely selfish. But then when you have kids, that's a whole nother level. You have kids, and all of a sudden, your life is not about you at all. and You realize. How incredibly self-centered your life is, and the children demand demand that you think of them first, that you put their future ahead of yours. And your life begins that your your life now is measured by their lives, their lifespan, their horizons become your horizon. So I just say to the young men out there, there's nothing better you can do with your life, having gotten married, than to become a father. And biblically, it is a call, it is an invitation towards ministry, towards significance and destiny.
1: Amen. And and isn't it true though? When you're a father and you hold your son, all of a sudden that God is your father and His son, it awakens a complete revelatory understanding. I can still remember the first time I held my son, who's now six foot tall, and and uh, his wife's getting ready to give birth to his son. I was like, oh my gosh, if 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 the father feels about me the way I feel about this boy. This changes my relationship with my Heavenly Father. I now understand Him in a way that I never did.
0: 100%. 100%. That was my experience, too. And I think becoming a dad is really an invitation into the heart of our Heavenly Father, which is what you're saying. I mean, it's an invitation to know We've Him been. in a different way and to become dependent on Him in a different way. You know, and I, I try to write about this a little bit in the book. My wife and I, we lost our first, our first baby uh, to a miscarriage, our first, Aaron's first pregnancy. My wife's name is Aaron. And so, you know, for me, what that did for me is, is that it made me realize, number one, it helped me learn how to better serve my wife. And number two, though, it helped me realize that being a father is a gift. It's not an automatic thing that, you know, you just like can expect it, pull the lever, become a father. Hey, that's automatic. You don't have to, no, being a father is an incredible gift. And being called into that, you know, it it is, it is an, it is an invitation to, knowing the Lord, being dependent on the Lord, and then realizing that, boy, you need his help. I mean, I needed his help to trust in him when we lost our first baby. But then once I became a father, I realized, to go back to what I was saying a second ago, just, oh, wow, how sinful I am, how impatient I am, how self-centered I am. And so you learn to become dependent on the Lord in new ways. Say, Lord, I need you to change my heart. Lord, I need you to show me what to do in this situation. Lord, I screw that up. Will you forgive me? Will you give me grace? And there is a new intimacy with God as our father that uh, I think can only really be experienced if you become a father yourself.
1: So last one, and I I thank you for your time. So what about, what would you say to the older guys that um, they've kind of embraced this American concept of retirement? Like my kids are grown up, they're adults. I've kind of retired from fathering. Maybe I've even retired from my job. These are the years where I spend my children's and grandchildren's inheritance and I perfect my golf game and make sure that, you know, I get enough time for leisure and country club. Uh, Sometimes it's the men who do love the Lord or know the Lord that it's like they exit at the time that we need them to be most active. What would you say to the older guys who have kind of embraced a retirement lifestyle and they're they're not helping pull up the next generation of young men?
0: Yeah. I just say that we need you in the fight. I mean, now more than ever, we need you in the fight. And I think about my own life. Some of the most significant people in my life are older men who are ahead of me, not 10 or 20 years, but 30, 40 years ahead of life's journey. And they took the time to invest in me and it changed my life. They made things real to me about the Lord I never knew. They helped me understand things about career I didn't understand. They helped me acquire a skill. I tell some of these stories in the book, but I just think that for older guys out there, I think you, if you think that, oh, this is my time for me and hey, I've, I've already, I've done all I can do. I think you underrate the impact you could have. And particularly looking at this fatherless generation that we have right now, these young men right now are hungry, hungry for role models, for mentors, for older guides. I don't know how many times I've had a young man come to me and say, I wish there was somebody out there who would show me how to do this thing called being a man or being a husband, being a father. And so for the older men, you know, right? You've got the benefit, the blessing of experience, what you can give back, the lives you can change, that may end up being your greatest legacy. You know, who who knows whose life the Lord will use you in? So I would just say, you know, we need you in this fight and your opportunity to bless is profound. And in, in a way, I mean, the older you get, the more experience you have, the more you have to contribute. And I'll just end again with my own experience. if if it were not for older men who came alongside me in critical times of my life, and to be honest, I still seek out, I I love to get counsel of wise men, but I love to get counsel of wise older men because they've just seen so much life. And you know what they can contribute, I think, is powerful. The church needs them, the nation needs them, the world needs them.
1: It's awesome. Well, thank you for writing, honestly, a great book. And it It covers the biblical storyline of masculinity and manhood. You do a great job in manhood of bringing in cultural statistics, saying, here's where we are. And, you know, we're right at the precipice of the point of no return. If things don't turn around, the future for men and our nation and culture is very, very bleak. And uh, you did an incredible job. I'm super grateful for it. I would encourage everybody to get a copy Uh, One of my biggest hearts is men's ministry, and honestly, especially if you're a pastor or ministry leader, you need to get this book so that you can have the father heart of God and understand maybe a new paradigm for ministry, and that may be—and I just want to speak briefly to the pastors—children's ministry is great, student ministry is great, women's ministry is great, but if you nail men's ministry, the men are going to do most of those ministries. And so, you know, start with the men, focus on the men, emphasize the men, care about the men, pursue the men. And what you'll get is a blessing uh, and a future for women and children. Is there anything else you would want to share just what's on your heart uh, before we close? And again, thanks for your book, Manhood.
0: No, thank you. Thank you for this time. And, and uh, I, I just want to end the same way by encouraging the men out there of whatever age that men, we need you. You know, don't believe when you're told that you're not important. Don't believe that, You're the cause of everything terrible in the world. We all make mistakes. Absolutely. We're all imperfect. That's why we need the Lord. We need his grace. We need his forgiveness. But he has a powerful and profound destiny for your life. And I can just tell you now from the the line of work to which the Lord has called me, I could say with 100% certainty, this nation needs you, men. The nation needs you. And we need more guys to stand up and answer the call.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you. I think I'm going to be in your neck of the woods next spring at a men's event. Uh, If you're there, I'll bring my sons I'd love to meet your sons And uh, maybe even bring my grandsons But if you're there, I look forward to seeing you next spring Thank you for your time We'll be praying for you, be praying for your family Uh, Be praying for your ministry Be praying for your political career I'm sure right now The uh, Biden-Trump head-on collision Scheduled for later this year Is going to make your life very interesting We love you, we appreciate you And we're praying for you, my friend
0: Thank you so much, thanks for having me
1: Pastor Mark here saying thank you for giving me the honor of helping you to learn God's Word. In a world filled with bad news, you need some good news. In a world filled with lies, you need some truth. And so, as I like to say, it's all about Jesus. We open the Bible, and we help people learn about Jesus Christ. And I just want to say, Uh, If you would help me get the word of God out, it would mean the world to me. You can go to realfaith.com, mountain of Bible teaching. I mean, we're coming up on three decades of Bible teaching. And for, if you just go to 99383 and text the word unfiltered, again, that's 99383 unfiltered, we'll send you a link that'll open up literally thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces of free Bible teaching.